Hello, my name is Bruce Suji, and in today's podcast, I want to talk a little bit about your job. I know, you think you don't have a job, you're a student. However, you are mistaken. Especially if your primary purpose in university is to get a job, your job in university is to be the best student you can be. This is an important mind shift because it helps you make decisions about how you spend your time. No one works 24-7, so your student job shouldn't be completely consuming. At the same time, you're neglecting your job if seven days pass without doing some work. Unless, of course, you're on vacation. So, what are some of the attributes of your new job? First and foremost, tools. Most jobs have some kind of tools of the trade. As a student, these tools typically include a computer and the necessary software, textbooks, writing implements, and sometimes specialized tools for specialized programs. Think hard hats or lab coats or microscopes, etc. Anyway, if you start thinking about school as your job, it may just change your thinking about some of the expenses you might otherwise like to avoid. As mentioned before, textbooks are one of the things that many students would like to avoid purchasing. While I can appreciate that many of them are extremely overpriced, there are strategies that could substantially mitigate the cost. For example, do you think forming a study group with someone else in the class where you share a copy of the text might make sense? Maybe even two other people, if you think you might be able to share a book amongst three people. This might work if you live in the same residence or close by each other. You might also be able to convince the prof to replace the book on reserve in the library. That means that the book is available for a relatively short period of time on a daily basis. Unfortunately, most profs are not aware of the high cost of books. At the same time, many are trying to adopt what is called open educational resources that include textbooks that are free or at very low cost. However, until we're able to find texts that that meet our needs and cost nothing, we'll continue to pay money for books. However, I encourage you to look at them as a necessary evil, a basic tool you'll need in many of your courses. If they're really expensive, make sure you take the time to sell them after the course is over. Another tool is software, such as MS Word or Excel or PowerPoint. Make sure you understand the required file format of your essays and assignments. It might be the best assignment ever, but if your TA or prof can't open it to read it, well, unfortunately, you might be paying the price in terms of your grade on that assignment. Hours. What I mean about hours is the amount of time you spend. In North America today, the average number of working hours is about 40 hours per week. While that is the mean, or average, there are many more who work 60, 70 plus, as well as others who work much less. 
as an undergraduate student, no one is expecting you to work that much, especially if, like many of you, you have a part-time job. We know that on average, a great many students, undergraduate students, work an average of about 20 hours a week at various kinds of part-time jobs. That said, if you look into it, I think you'll almost always find that the very top students may put in 60 or 70 plus hours per week. How far from the top, and therefore how much less than 70 hours, do you want to put in? As we discussed earlier, your university success is based on your smarts, plus resources, plus opportunity, plus motivation. Since three of these four ingredients are more or less unchangeable, the only one you really have control over is your motivation. In other words, how hard do you want to work? Your program may be more difficult or, more e or easier than others. But unless you put in at least three or four hours per week per course, plus your class time, do not expect to be at the top of the class. Do not expect to earn the grades that you might be capable of earning. Like we said before, that's okay. Just beware that you put in, you take out what you put in. Another factor is sleeping and intoxication. If you ask around, talk to a few people who are doing well in their full-time jobs, how often do they show up, show up on the job intoxicated, or how often do they sleep on the job? <laughs> if your job is to do well in school, how often do you think you should fall asleep in class? How often do you think you should be high or intoxicated in class? Enough said. Another factor is what I call McJob versus a career. You know what I mean by McJob? It might be your current part-time job or maybe one you had in high school, a job that you thought about as little as possible, requiring little in the way of skills and demanding an absolute minimum of your interest or your commitment. I see many people doing the same thing with their jobs as full-time students. That's unfortunate. If you want your post-secondary education to be as fulfilling as a McJob, then please continue. Alternately, if you want your post-secondary education to be rewarding, then engage with it. Put effort into it. Or leave. How well do you think you would do in your McJob if you never talked to your supervisor, never engaged with your co-workers, were always unenthusiastic, in university, if you never talk to your profs, never talk to your TAs, never involved yourself in university clubs and activities, and fell asleep in most lectures, you would do the same. Not very well. Unlike most jobs, unlike most jobs in the real world, your university will usually welcome you back if you decide to take a leave for a period of time. Sometimes that leave is the best thing that people can do. Unless you're engaged and interested, do something else instead of paying money and spending time in university. Something you may not know is that a large proportion of students who start university do not 
graduate within the three or four years that their program normally expects. Many, many students will take a year or two extra, either by leaving university or taking a reduced course load. That is entirely okay and will not reflect badly on you. In particular, if that means that you're a little bit more engaged, you're a little bit more motivated when you're actually in school, then that's going to look better on your transcripts. That's going to mean that you're going to be more successful. Something else I'd like to talk about is taking notes. Every once in a while when I can, I take a look at the notes that students create after one of my lectures. And I end up seeing a range of different styles. This makes a lot of sense because we all learn in slightly different ways. So we might expect a lot of differences in the kinds of notes that we take. However, I know that there are some notes that aren't being much help. The two worst kinds are when the pages are almost completely blank, and the other is when someone seems to have tried to write down every single word I say. The blank page is useless for, I think, obvious reasons. But you might think the court reporter style would be good. If you thought that way, you're wrong. If you're writing every word, you aren't processing the material, you're just training to be a court reporter. You know what I'm talking about. The kind of individual that you might have seen on TV, law, and order kinds of shows. The kind of person who sits in the corner of the courtroom and records every single word that the respective lawyers and witnesses and judges say. Unfortunately, if you're being a court reporter, you might record every word, but you don't really retain too much about what's going on in the courtroom. The notes you take are for you. They should help you understand the various parts of a lecture and how those parts relate to each other, as well as the material you've taken before and the material you'll take subsequently. As a result, there should be lines linking different segments. There should be asterisks identifying key points. There should be identifiable hierarchies showing how some points are subservient to other points. Like I said, I cannot tell you the best way to take notes for you. You need to explore a couple of different methods and practice them and see which ones help you learn and retain best. Try doing a Google search on taking notes and look at three or four of them. I recommend that you try one way in all your courses until the midterm exams and then try a different way from after the midterms until the end of the semester. That will give you enough time to compare note-taking methods in terms of the end result. Another kind of note-taking is what you do when you read your course textbook. I sometimes see students who have highlighted, using uh, a highlighter pen, virtually every single line in a text. This is kind of like the court reporter style of lecture note-taking. If you're highlighting the majority of lines in a textbook, it's doing nothing to help you identify the most important ideas in that text. I recommend that you do a Google search on SQ3R. That's S like Sam, Q like question, three like the digit three, 
and are like uh, wrecks. And follow that method when reading your textbooks. While the Wikipedia entry is good, briefly, SQ3R says that you should do the following when you sit down to read your textbook. First of all, S for skim. Literally, take four or five minutes and skim the chapter or section that you intend to read and notice the headings and subheadings. Don't spend more than four or five minutes. You're really just trying to get an overall view of what's in the piece that you're about to read. The second part of SQ3R is Q for question. Based on your skim, what questions do you think that piece of text should answer? Write these down. The third part of SQ3R is R for read. Start reading the chapter and make sure you try to answer the questions that you've raised previously. The next part is another R for retrieve. After reading the chapter, put it into your own words. If you can paraphrase it, which means putting it into your own words, that means you've processed the content. The final part of the SQ3R is the third R, which, is, which stands for review. Reread what you've written, paying attention to the original questions you posed, as well as the answers your reading of the text provided. I estimate that SQ3R will add, on average, about 15 minutes to a typical hour of reading a textbook. However, if the end result is you now effectively remember that content, isn't that time well spent? Think about the times that you may have read a chapter in a textbook and afterwards had no recollection whatsoever of what you just read. Would you rather waste your time like that or make useful use of that time you're spending on that text? That's it for today. I'll talk to you again next time.